Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering Arena. I'm Arjuna, this is CGB. How are you doing, CGB? Hi, it's me. I'm Covert Go Blue, also known as CGB. And this time, I'm coming to you for another Arena Craft Podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. We've had a weird week in the arena where it feels like nothing and everything happened all at the same time, and i kind of excited to talk about it. Yep. I feel like magic is one of those things where, like, there could be beyond nothing to talk about and there'd still be things to talk about, you know? It's like a reality TV show. It's like podcasting easy mode, because there's always something. There's always something. Yeah. We, we, we come up with stuff. We just invent stuff when there is nothing. For example, what do you think about this? This is just <laughs> something I came up with a few seconds. He's already laughing. This isn't even fair. This is something I may have already mentioned and then decided we're doing it on the cast. So I literally the best idea I think I've ever had. I, I don't know if people know this. I'm an entrepreneur. My mother was an entrepreneur, started her own business. I, I started my own business. I don't speak French. What does that word mean? An entrepreneur <laughs> is uh, somebody who creates their own business and uh, employs themselves and okay. runs that business, although probably not the technical definition. But I've started a few companies in my day. It's true. And uh, this one, this one takes the cake. I want to open an ice cream shop with flavors based on magic cards and it, it can also be a card shop it can be an ice cream and card shop where you can literally go play a deck with brainstorm in it and then go order a brainstorm sunday what do you think what do, what do you think a brainstorm ice cream would taste like wouldn't it be amazing it would have to be really cold right I mean, there's going to be a lot of cold blue cards <laughs> yeah. being used for for all of this. Yes, very cold. Well, exactly. We were talking about winter orb. You could get like a nice little round popsicle called a winter orb. That would be pretty dope. Nice. Yeah, that would be nice. How about like, uh, is there a magic card just called Avalanche? There's Avalanche Caller. Um, I, there I you believe go. there's an Avalanche from the Ice Age. Avalanche Caller would be sick. But I mean, yeah, just Ice Age itself, right? Uh, yeah. Cold, a cold steel heart. No, that <laughs> Ooh, sounds a little nasty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, ice, ice cream parlor, Magic the Gathering themed, uh, a Jace Belarin blizzard if I don't get sued by the Dairy Queen. You know, we got this. <laughs> cold snap. There you go. Cold snap can be something. Cold snap. You could also have like a, like a cinnamon ice cream and call it Fireball. Mm, yeah, spicy ice cream. Now you're doing it. Yeah, we got to have something for the red mages. Yeah, I'm into all the spherical stuff. Any ice cream that comes in a sphere, that's my speciality. Oh, yeah. We want your comments, and we want you to submit in the Discord ideas for ice cream flavors based on magic cards in, in celebration of summer and the biggest brain idea I've probably ever had in my life. So here's a question What's like Saltai? What would you have in a Saltai ice cream? I was going to say like Rocky Road, but Rocky Road has marshmallows, mm. and those are definitely white, so it wouldn't be Rocky Road. Well, you'd take salted caramel, and you'd call it like Saltai caramel. Oh, there you go. Top. Salted caramel, yeah. chocolate. What's the, mm -hmm. what's the, what's the green? Because it's black, of course. What's the so, green in it? Uh, you, I mean, I don't really want to throw mint on the caramel. Yeah, right? mint might be a little so, weird, huh? I don't know. What, what? Oh gosh! No, 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 Get, no, no! The green it's fine. In there can be funky. It's fine. It's it's a mint chip with a caramel swirl in it. That's that's okay. totally fine, I, dude. That would taste good. It's doable. Yeah, exactly. Green green gets complicated. Salt is always a little weird. Doesn't ever quite taste right. 
Yeah, it's not it's not for the typical. You know no. what I mean? For example, <laughs> you were just playing Saltai on ladder, right? I was. I was. Because I am atypical. I exactly. I really march to the beat of my own drum, CGB. All right. Well, <laughs> well, this has been fun. So we're already like five minutes in, and y'all don't really know what we're talking about today. So let me break this down for you. We have a veritable bevy of topics coming up for you today. First of all, um, there's been a ban announcement recently we're going to touch on. We've also had Boom. some more cards spoiled in multiple different locations. Unfortunately, for those of you who like to think outside of Arena, we're probably not going to talk about Historic Anthology. I mean, um, Modern Horizons Modern 2. Modern Horizons. We're, we're going to yep, give that Modern one a Horizons miss. 2. We're going to give that one a miss, but we are going to talk about the other ones. First, I have to do a couple of announcements. Thank you so much to all of our early adopter patrons. We now have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash podcast, where you can go and check out our tiers. We have a bunch of cool cats in the lineup. You can become one of them. Go take a look at it. It's a good time. We currently have 35 folks enrolled so far, making wonderful donations. Thank you so much. Like, it, it really was incredible. And you know what blew me away, CGB? Is we had, on the first day of the Patreon, we had as many S-tier, top-tier donating Patreon patrons, the most they could donate. We had as many of those as we did at the lowest tier. Which just blows my mind, Holy dude. cow. It just blows my mind. Yeah, you guys crushed it. Uh, yeah. Thank you. That was an ins that was insane for a first week, and that first day I remember being very excited. So yeah, uh, big shout out to the patrons. That that's you guys are legendary. Y'all are amazing. So if you enjoy this show and if you would like to see it thrive, that's an excellent way to do so. You can swing by the membership start at two ninety nine US dollars. It's very affordable, cheaper than a beverage. So uh, yeah, just go swing by, check that out. All right, next thing up. We have a question which ties in nicely to something we wanted to talk about. So, Spy Mania asks, Thoughts on the direction of the historic format? Feels like it will eventually approach modern in terms of speed and power level. Pros and cons? Personal preferences? Question mark. All right. So, um, I do want to address that topic. And it, it ties in with one of the things we wanted to talk about, which is the Thassa's Oracle ban in Historic. So I think, CDB, let's do this. First, let's talk about the ban. Let's talk about how it affects the format. And then we can kind of directly address some of these questions that Spy Mania presented to us. Okay. Take it away, CGB. Tell us about what happened with the Oracle ban. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know me. I don't like. I don't. I don't just want to give you what happened. I want to tell the saga of uh, a small indie company trying to <laughs> dance and cope with the modern world. And in this case, the Wizards of the Coast. There's this thing that this there's this, a bizarre thing that happens when they post a ban and restricted announcement. It's always the same format. It's always at the same URL with the only thing changed being the date. And it's always got the same title. So detectives of the internet who probably spend way too much time on Reddit now will just put in like the name of the banned and restricted announcement with different dates to see if anything pops up. If they get a 404 error, then there's no, nothing. There's no placeholder. There's no um, page created. But if... If they get an access denied, they know this page has been created and there will be 
a ban and restricted announcement. And these heroes of the internet were able to discover this uh, about, this was on a Wednesday, which right away should be a red flag because when do they ban stuff? Monday. Monday. It's always Monday. Monday. Yep. Nope. This one came up as a Wednesday, which should have been a red flag. And immediately people started saying uh, that Oracle or Pact is going to get banned. And I, for one, scheduled my next morning. I, I, I took the morning off, ready to go live as soon as a ban announcement dropped. And the next day came, uh, and there was no announcement at by the usual time, which is about 8 a.m. Pacific. Um, by 11 a.m. Pacific, there was still nothing. By, like, 3 p.m. Pacific, there was still nothing. And I left the house. I, I had to go out, and I think my wife's parents were in town. When I got home, I found out that the ban announcement came out, like, at the very end of the workday. Like, right at the end of the workday, set to go live the next morning. And then I realized why this is happening now. Um, it is because they don't... They, they push their updates every Thursday, and they don't want to either get developers to work on or pay for an update to be pushed multiple updates a week. So they wanted to push it with their Thursday update, but they didn't want the response from people being like, well, you banned it on Monday. Why didn't you update till Thursday? Because that was always a bit of an outcry. So now their new strategy is we're just banning it. We're announcing it at the end of the day, Wednesday, and making it go live the next morning, which kind of makes sense but when they've never done it before i think threw everybody for a loop and now for those of you just saying well but cgb what was the freaking ban they banned thassa's oracle <laughs> they banned thassa's oracle so, from historic so let, not let me, suspended yeah not just straight to the ban hammer now here's the straight irony the of ban. it Kovac, Koblue. here's the irony of it is uh which which card number in the uh mystical archive was thassa's oracle it wasn't. Wrong. <laughs> that was not a, a spell. That was a trick question. Um, Does not live in the biblioplex. They, now let me tell you. Let me throw this back to you before I let you finish that thought. Okay. Which one of these is a mythic rare, and which one is not? Yeah, that's rough times, man. Rough times. And and do you know? Do you know anybody who crafted maybe four tainted packs just because they thought they were getting their wild cards back? Oh yeah. I'm this guy. <laughs> oh, bud. Who's got two bud. thumbs and a lot of regret. This guy right here. Go on. You know what the deepest irony about that is? There will probably never be a deck that runs four tainted packs ever. Thank you. Thank you. I needed that. I needed that little dagger. I mean, I thought they would for sure get rid of A, A. They said that they were going to be banning stuff from the Antho from the anthology the archive yeah. sorry they were going to ban stuff from the archive pretty liberally that's what they said in case they broke the format so i thought for sure that cards from the archive were on the watch list not yeah. cards that weren't dumb yeah silly me but um yeah. i mean that b it's like it, it doesn't work on arena the pact is so obnoxiously <laughs> slow you you can't even execute it on time because it uses up all your ropes i thought for sure they banned the card that they can't be bothered to code well <laughs> no so for any of you who aren't aware of this okay the combo can go off as soon as turn three however the way that arena works is you start with zero banked uh what do they call them like hourglasses right timeouts timeouts Time so you start with zero banked timeouts the earliest that you can get 
An additional timeout on Arena if you play very snappily in the early turns of the game is turn four, which is why this has be commonly been referred to as a turn four combo deck. Because, back me up if I'm right here, CGB, is it like physically, literally impossible to win with this combo on turn three? I think that there is actually yes. no mechanical way, like the rules allow you to win on turn three, but there is actually no way to execute that on Arena. If you want to dig into this, there's a video on my channel called The Rope is My Win Con. <laughs> it's got a really nice clickbaity. The very first thing I tried to do was go off on turn three or just resolve the pact on turn two going into turn three. Yeah. And yeah, you no matter how fast you click, it's impossible. You right. can't do it. So, can't do it. And, and for those of you wondering exactly why this happens, it's because so the, the resolution of the spell is what takes so much of the time, right? So Arena is designed to give you extra time when you're taking game actions, but those game actions have to be like new instances that go on the stack, right? And if you interact yeah. with those new instances that go on the stack, Arena bumps you up a tiny little bit of your rope to help combo players keep up, right? But when the entirety of your combo is happening with one card on the stack and you have to exile your entire deck, it gives you no rope. And so basically what you're yeah. doing is clicking decline, 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 decline. And meanwhile, your rope yes. is just... <laughs> it's just going down and then basically here's the bummer part of it is that when you do time out arena defaults to just exiling your entire deck right which yep. is great if that's you right. already if you already had a thassa's oracle trigger on the stack that's a great behavior but if you didn't too bad you die at the beginning of the next turn so yeah, yeah. pretty rough and the core of the, like, the fun part about the video, which using the rope as the win con, what you can do on turn four is you can cast Thassa's Oracle and put a stop on the phase or full control. And with the trigger on the stack, you cast the Tainted Pact with your other two mana. And then you just let your rope run to zero. You don't decline anything. You just oh, you let just yourself chill. rope out and it <laughs> exiles the whole library for you. And then the Tainted, then the Thassa's Oracle goes off and you win with no timeouts and auto priority passing. So that's why it, the clickbaity title of Rope is WinCon is good. I will tell you, I had a really good time watching Ashley's little stream though. Somebody did this and used the rope timeout thing on her and she had a baleful mastery. So when the Oracle went to zero and the trigger was on the stack and there was no library left and there were no timeouts for the opponent, she cast the Baleful Mastery on the Oracle, which forced the other player to draw a card and they didn't have one in their library and they lost. It was really... Which, it, was, it was great. That's especially <laughs> a punish for rope mages because... P smart people playing around this can actually make the decision to like go to one card in deck for example, which yeah. which plays yep. around the Baleful Mastery plan. So, yep. But not if you're going to do the late, what, what they call the lazy rope as win con strategy that I highlighted. So, <laughs> so that I made it look a lot better than I should have. I'll, I'll say oh, that. I love it, It man. looks really just big green, but it's punishable. Sabotaging innocent mages on the ladder, just trying to make a living. <laughs> Devious. Yeah. Anyway, no more. Okay. No more of that. Oracle yep. got banned. It's, it's so, gone, and I have four tainted packs. <laughs> well, you know what this means, Kovacably. You got to dust off those jaces. Just dust off those jaces <sighs> and make 
a really awful like tier three deck. What I what I saw that was really cool is Crackling Drake. Have you seen this? No. Crackling Drake with Tainted Pact. It, it counts cards in exile. So you just make a uh, 20 plus power Crackling right. Drake and attack. And you don't even Love have it. to exile your whole library. You can pick a really great card, put it in your hand, and try to kill them with Crackling Drake. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. with uh, And I suppose it's that jumpstart card that gives creatures haste. You could even conceivably do this all in one turn. Just like OTK your opponent as well. Yeah. Possible, yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway... Well, so, okay, so where does this leave historic and where does this leave us? Like, what what do we take away from this? Well, as far as historic becoming modern, I, I think that that's a disservice to the power level of modern because while there are a few yeah. cards from modern in historic, I don't think the two are close to the same. No. I, I, I look at modern as like a format of super microtransactions where everything that costs two mana is like a huge <laughs> investment. And, you know, there's like you pretty much start double spelling on turn one or two with with spells like Force of Negation and Gutshot. And like modern is still so far away from mm. historic. And I don't think historic wants to be modern. I think that I don't think magic is, and, and modern players aren't going to like this, but I, I don't think magic is its most accessible when you're doing like five to six spells for a combination of like two to three mana. And the game is essentially ending, but or interaction is basically required from turn one on. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's what's going to get new players into magic or get them interested. And you can say that historic isn't necessarily for new players, but everything I see when I play ladder and play around in historic queues Yes, it is. There's there's yeah. a lot of new players playing Historic very often. The amount of lifelink cat decks I play against is kind of testament to that in some ways. So I, I think that they're going to try to keep it pretty far away from Modern. I think there's still a tremendous gap between the two. So I picture Historic a lot closer to... how how What would it be it, like? I mean, it's a lot because closer to Pioneer, right? I never played Pioneer, but I did watch it, so I would like to agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the place where Siege Rhino was a bit too slow, but um, just comboing off with Nykthos was too fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I think that they really do just want Pioneer out of this, and especially here introducing a bunch of the commands from Dragons of Tarkir. That seems like stuff that was meant for the Pioneer format. Yeah. Their next... Anthology has a bunch of cards from Magic Origins, like the Flip Planeswalker cycle, then I'll be like, yeah, that's definitely what's up. So, yeah, it has, it's kind of, I feel like Historic has a selection of really busted cards that Pioneer doesn't have and vice versa. And so the two, I would say that's the, cl- the closest format analogous in power level overall. Um, it mm-hmm. does, however, seem like Pioneer is, they've basically... Like, they've banned, it seems like, all of the existing cards that were kind of making it a Wild West format, you know, cards like the, like the Inverter of Truth and stuff like that, because it really was a combo format for a hot minute there. Um, so they seem to have kind of gotten rid of a lot of that kind of stuff, and now it's just 
stabilized. And so unless new sets, new standard legal sets are printing cards that break the format, it's kind of reached this equilibrium. Not so in Historic. Historic feels like every one or two months, it's just a new Wild West, like all over again, you know? And so oh, I, yeah. I think that that's one of the aspects of playing Historic that you've just got to get used to is that like every new generation, every new printing into the format is basically trying to break the format and everyone will be trying to break the format always. And I mean, that makes it really dynamic and fun for a lot of people. It's one of the reasons I love playing the format is because it feels like there's always something new and ridiculous to try out. But I think that that's kind of what people should be expecting. It's almost like Cube in a weird way. Like the, the feeling of Cube is like everyone's trying to bust it all the time, right? And so I, I feel like Historic is kind of like the constructed Cube format. So I think of it. I suppose that's one way to look at it. You you don't even know, like, you have no idea what's in the cube. They just keep throwing new stuff in the cube constantly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I get what yeah. you're saying. Mm -hmm. I, it's hard to picture another mystical archive anytime soon, but who mm -hmm. knows? I mm -hmm. We didn't know what mystical archive was going to be till it happened to us. Um, and it's hard to picture the shadows over Innistrad remastered, like breaking the format given the cards that are in it there's a lot of sweet cards but i don't see them as broken uh compared to what's there but then again who knows they put a whole bunch of stuff in Amonkhet just because they could so they'll yeah, do whatever the, they feel like with historic i guess there are, there are just a couple of cards in the shadows block that do make me a little nervous uh cards like emrakul the promised end cards like traverse the Olvenwald. um and I could definitely see some tireless tracker decks popping up, you know? Um, that that card I, is probably not going to break anything, but, you know, I, I don't know, man. I think, like, th there's, there's, like, like, think about, like, tireless tracker in company decks. Like, that, that could actually start to become a pretty obnoxious thing. Oh, yeah. The only thing I haven't done with my Fabled Passage is a Tireless Tracker, you know? Exactly. Like, that's what we need. We've, we've done Omnath. You had Omnath. Now check out Tireless Tracker. <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I agree. There are certain, like, there are some base level things that are holding Historic back from reaching too powerful. One of them is fetch lands. Until we get fetch lands in Historic, it will just not be able to keep up with, like, these older Eternal formats. Um, so that's that's kind of like ground level one. And then there are, yeah, a number of, of other just base level things like free counter spells. Um, the only free counter spell we have in Historic still costs you very, very much mana. So I would still prefer that was never there, to be honest. <laughs> I, agree. Like, I, I, agree. I, I hate that they introduced zero mana instant speed spells to the arena client at all. Yeah. At all. Just now we're just clicking through every phase from from turn one you know or to bluff it we have to be on full control at all times yeah it's terrible yeah i i agree so yeah i you know that's kind of a vague answer spy mania but i think for now i think that one so there's a couple of things historic has proven to us one is that historic is a creature format it's not going to stop becoming a creature format anytime soon probably um, so whether that means like your Auras creatures or your Selesnia creatures or, you know, your Goblins creatures, like 
it still managed to be like in a format with op with access to so many combo options and so many powerful things like Nyssa and stuff like that. You know, powerful planeswalkers like Teferi, uh, powerful planeswalkers like Narset, for example. It still somehow manages to be like this incredibly creature heavy format in which decks like Jund can actually dominate, right? So I don't think mm -hmm. that that's going to be changing anytime soon. I predicted that it would with the release of the Mystical Archive, and the format, you know, proved to be surprisingly resilient to those cards. So, yeah, I think I think you should expect it to remain a creature-centric format. I think that you know we've seen that control has tended to do kind of fairly well because control versus creatures is just kind of an age-old matchup in Magic, right? Uh, yeah, the control mages will not be deterred. They always try to find a way, even when it's a bad idea. I wonder how I know. Just you know, just saying because a friend of mine might might go through this often. I, I would also say from the anthology coming up, I think the three of the best cards are Coligan's Command, Ramoka's Command, and Atarka's Command. They all reward you for having a creature presence in your deck. Yes. So I I agree with what you said, and I think it's going to continue to push in that direction. Yeah. Um, final thing is that people won't stop playing Control X and Historic as long as Gabriel Nassif is playing the format. So <laughs> I feel I feel like Gabriel Nassif is like 50% of the meta-defining brewing that's happening in Historic right now. So the other 50% is Mistman. <laughs> no joke. All get all control decks all the time. <laughs> so that that's where I would leave you. If you want to learn more about the historic format, go watch Gabriel Nassif play. He's very enlightening. Um, just excellent content creator and one of the best people playing the game right now. And basically anytime he's really devoted to the game, he is one of the best. Final thing. Covert Go Blue. How rough is it for you to lose our bet like a mere four days beyond the deadline, man? I mean, that's just got to hurt, uh, right? <laughs> that and the fact that I have those four tainted packs are the two things that have uh, made my week just more painful than average. Um, so it's, it's so I, rough I, because... I should have had a good week. I should have been a happy man today. I should have had a really good week. I smashed so much mono red this week on ladder across multiple formats. I should be smiling. But no, I'm sitting here with four tainted packs and a bet that I lost because my timing was bad. If I was smart, I definitely would have like made it like the week after the MPL play. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they obviously they're not going to change it for that event. But I, that's on me. It's on me. Well, well... I just get the satisfaction of saying, I don't, have I ever lost a bet on this podcast, Kovaco Blue? I don't think I've lost a okay. single bet that I've made. <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't. You didn't take, so I, I know that I said that there was going to be um, like a top eight with, I think I said like 32 Omnaths. Did you take, did you take the other side of that? Did I take the under on that? Uh, or did you just I, say that's an interesting one and I, leave it at that? I don't know if I took the under, but you definitely won that one. Okay. So we'll, gotta bring up gotta bring up a win right now, or I'm I, just gonna I, melt into obscurity. I, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it. I right. it does kind of suck because I think in spirit you won this last bet, but unfortunately the letter of the law ruled the <laughs> ruled the against law. your yeah. favor <laughs> anyway. 
<laughs> All right. All right. Covert go loser here, checking in. What, what's the next topic? Can we move on? Kova go sing in the blues. Uh, let's, okay, so speaking of historic, they did actually spoil the final, the last couple of cards in the historic anthology. So we did actually end up getting 25 cards in the anthology of which LS Norn was one. So... We, we, we read LS Norn last week. We're not going to go in-depth about that, but basically she's awesome. If there are creature formats, like lots of small creatures running around in Historic, then strategies that focus on cheating LS Norn into play could be a real thing. So keep an eye out for her. Uh, the last two cards that they spoiled were what? One is Into the North. Into the North is from Cold Snap, or I, I'm not positive on that, but it's one in a green sorcery. Search your library for a snow land and put it onto the battlefield tapped. So uh, we got Rampant Growth, which is interesting because we haven't had a Rampant Growth type effect in a while in Historic. We've had Grow Spiral and Explore. We haven't had that guaranteed fine land put on battlefield type thing. But uh, there's a new development with Snowlands. This can get dual lands because there are now the common cycle of snow dual lands. Like I think Arctic Tunnel is an example of one. So is there a world where you want a snow mana base and you're willing to play a couple comes into play tap dual lands that you can fetch up? I don't know, but it's a thing. It's a yeah. possibility. Yeah. I mean, it is a rampant growth, right? In a sense. And that definitely yep. counts. You for just something. have to run snow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's a card to look out for. I, th I think the real question is whether snow decks become a thing. But assuming they do, yeah, pretty good. It's going to need a lot more support than Kaldheim. It I will. mean, especially in Historic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe, you know. Ice, Ice Age Remasters. Ice Age Remasters will do it. There you go. Plus, it'll keep our ice cream shop in business. I'm trying to think, though. I, I guess Colligan's Command was one of the not-revealed cards, and we already did cover that. So, okay, so that, that yeah. rounds out the historic anthology. So, yeah, just to kind of retouch on that, I do think that this is going to be a really important anthology, kind of like reprising what CGB said, this might be the best anthology so far. Um, if we're speaking with, like, strictly sets that are labeled historic anthology, and I think I agree with you. Um, yeah, I uh, haven't changed that opinion either. Looking forward to trying them out. Yep. Do you have, uh, it, it, like, what's the card that you're most excited right now to throw into a deck and I'm... mess around with? So it's kind of cheating because this deck didn't necessarily need these cards, but I'm, I'm looking at, like, a four-color Umburial Rights deck that in the past mostly focused on Scholar of Lost Troves to get uh, an emergent ultimatum or time warp or mind's desire and things like that but now it can throw in the blue praetor and the white praetor elishnorn and uh yes and i think reanimating those as a backup plan when you don't find your scholars or when your scholars might not be the best option is going to be sweet so probably just trying like two of each of those if we can make room for them in the deck and they're also ultimatum hits if you just want to see your opponent squirm. Oh, it's gonna baby. Be fun. I love it. 
I love it. Yeah, for me, you know, I somehow in the last number of months became a silly little uh, artifact aggro player in Historic. So me and my Tempered Steel are just going to be trying out Cot Homunculuses and, uh, you know, Vault Scourges and seeing if we can get there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I like, I look at these cards and, and I'm like, oh yeah, look at these seven and eight mana mythics with these game breaking effects. And you're just like, that could be a one mana two, two that with my three man enchantment could be a four, four. Let's go. Let's hey go. man, <laughs> I, I think it may have been a little while since you faced off against Tempered Steel. Caught is oh, no joke. Oh, you man. think I'm under? You think I'm underestimating the Tempered Steel deck? Okay, all right. You want to bet? Are, are we going to bet on the um, viability of Tempered Steel? Do you want to bet if an MPL player plays a Tempered a Tempered Steel deck before the release of Dungeons and Dragons? Well, if we're gonna if we're gonna bet on Tempered Steel, we have to put something from this historic anthology as a counter bet as well. No, we don't. There was no. <laughs> what was the counter when I lost the last one? Well, I'm not taking that bet. So, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> okay, I see how it is. You know, that's fine. I might be, that's fine. I might you be go storm the ladder, and <laughs> I might be silly, Kovac Go Blue, but I am not an idiot. So there you go. He's not stupid. <laughs> though, it's... though, some people watching this channel do tend to disagree. Uh, but anyway, so. Um, Okay, that's uh, Historic Anthology number five. But wait, there's more, because we actually also have had additional cards spoiled for Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, the D&D set, which we... is coming up. Remember how we talked about that really brief spoiler season that... I well, know, they, they just dude. started dropping cards randomly a few months in advance. So killing me, bro. They're like actually just it's killing fine. me over here. But anyway, they just don't want us to talk about anything else. But that's okay. Yeah, free advertising, Kovac Go Blue. That's what we become. It's just free advertising. All right. So they have released some character cards, which will have a lot of resonance for people who know about D and D and mean nothing to me. But you know, these cards are fairly sweet. I I I wasn't trying to dig <laughs> nothing. I, I, I mean, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> no, you're, no, you're dis. actually right. Like, so, some of these characters, if you've read the books, are like, whoa, and if you haven't, are very man, and that's what you're getting at. And yeah, you're right. You're 100 percent right. When I see uh, Bruner Battlehammer and Drizdo Erden, I'm like, oh, that is freaking sweet because I've read the books, but I've actually never looked at any of the art other than the cover art of the books. So mm. seeing them brought to life sort of in a card is really exciting seeing the different kinds of art is exciting reading how they like even even things like their types right you start analyzing it like really you know i thought that uh this character would be this but um if you've never heard of these characters these probably look like pretty medium cards sorry for the spoiler ish so it's it's an interesting experience what they're doing here uh with releasing these now yeah, exactly. One of the things that interested me most is that they have given us what I believe to be our first planeswalker who cannot planeswalk, uh, which was a really, really interesting thing. I, so I was reading Mark... No, maybe it was Aaron Forsyth. It was one of the two. Mark Rosewater or Aaron Forsyth was answering some questions about this. 
and they confirmed that the the planeswalker type card type is like important enough to them that they wanted to include planeswalkers in this set regardless of whether the characters in them could canonically planeswalk and i, I thought that but, was really but there interesting. are planes there are like you can like move between the realms, right? You mm -hmm. can like walk between realms mm -hmm. in D and D, which are different from planes. But they did say in a video that they wanted it to be characters who have moved between realms in the Forgotten Realms. There you go. That's what they said. So, but it's... they haven't been outside it canonically, right? So that the realm walkers, which I think is what we need to <laughs> call these cards, <laughs> and the should one should be a type. Okay, the one that I'm referencing here is called Lolf Spider Queen. So I mean, for starters, the name is just uh, puts a smile on my face. And Lolf. what does Lolf get up to? So Lolf is three black black for a Realm Walker at four loyalty. Whenever a creature you control dies, put a loyalty counter on Lolf Spider Queen. First ability, zero loyalty. You draw a card and you lose one life. Then minus three, create two, two on black spider creature tokens with menace and reach. Spiders with greater power than toughness. How about that? And the final ultimate, minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever an opponent is dealt combat damage by one or more creatures you control. If that player lost less than eight life this turn, they lose life equal to the difference, which... Is kind of a complicated little emblem when you think about it, but you know, we won't hold that against you, Lolf. All right, so Covert yeah. Go Blue, your initial thoughts on the LOL Spider Queen. Those spiders are tough. That... Like, like, and not in the toughness realm. Like, they actually have stats and abilities. Like, a minus three that generates four points of power with menace, like, can get busy, and reach can defend. And when you think about it, in a lot of situations, that minus three is just a minus one because if they kill those two spiders, you get the loyalty back. If they attack and you block with those spiders, you get the loyalty back uh, because whenever a creature you control dies, even if it's a token, you get another loyalty counter on your spider queen. So that's pretty cool uh, in a lot of ways. It, this card can both get aggressive and if it's just sitting on the battlefield, they can't ignore it because it draws you an extra card every single turn. So I think this card is kind of sweet. I I just, five mana is a lot, but I think that this is actually a very sweet card. And yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan. It's the kind of card I'm going to want to play with a little bit. But, but it's not the kind of card I usually stick with because it does play with and around creatures in combat. And I'm more of a planeswalker as a control type type of mage so yeah uh, this is probably going to be a lot more exciting to anybody who's ever put a cat in an oven you know what i mean like the, this this card fits right into that yeah it's that kind of thing or like plumb the forbidden mages um anyone who enjoys you know any of those kind of sacky decks i think will enjoy this laris um although i guess you can't play this in a in a laris companion deck but yeah, I mean, this this card has a lot of options. This registers to me like a analogous power level or maybe a little weaker than like the Ashiok 5 Planeswalker. Um, I think I think the minus eight can really close games, though. Mm. If, if you get the bodies, like 
I mean, say you just have an eye twitch and you go get a pest summoning and then you make some spiders. If like one of them hits the opponent and the others are blocked and they build up the loyalty on this sucker and then you get to minus eight, like they just can't really stop the damage as long as one thing gets through. And remember, those two spiders have menace. Like yeah. something's getting through. Something's going to hit. Well, and here's another thing. It's not unreasonable to think about scenarios in which you play Lolf and then ultimate her the next turn, right? Um, like, you know, pest summonings and plumb the forbiddens and, you know, just any existing creatures that you had out, stuff like that, that could all add up real fast. So if you're able to just like get off a quick ultimate on Lolf, that could be a good time. Oh yeah. Yeah. This, this card is sweet. Yeah. It's sweet. It's definitely sweet. All right. Take us on to one of these other cards, Kovaco Blue. I'll talk about Drit Steward, and this is three and a green-white for a legendary creature, Elf Ranger. This is a 3-3 creature. It has double strike, and when Dritz enters the battlefield, create Gwenevar, a legendary 4-1 green cat creature token with trample. And whenever a creature dies, if it had power greater than Dritz's power, put a number of plus one, plus one counters on Dritz equal to the difference. What do you think? Is this card good? I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. reminding me of uh, God. What was that Selesnia one that made a legendary? You're gonna say token? you're gonna say Tulsimir. Tulsimir. That's I'm I'm getting Tulsimir vibes, right? Hold on, I'm I'm gonna impress the hell out of you right here, right now. I just have that one just sitting boom here. just on ready the table. to go and it's what that's <laughs> like japanese. a korean or japanese yeah. version nice yeah. nice I know. there you go so so let's see one of the things i liked about tolsamir was that it was really good at stabilizing against aggro decks for example mm-hmm. um drizzt doesn't quite have that same thing going on right so drizzt strikes me as like more of an aggro card um it's got double strike, it makes a 4-1 trampler, dying creatures put plus one plus one counters on Drizzt. Um, but I mean, I don't know, like it's it's a lot of stats, right? So Drizzt attacks for six on the baseline and you know puts a 4-1 into play. So that's like essentially 10 power worth of stats from one card. Ten? Yeah, 10 power from 5 mana. That's not bad, you know? It's the kind of thing where, like, if you play a Drizzt and it gets Frostbitten and you're left with a 4-1 green cat, it's not the worst, right? Not the worst. If you can somehow make something die in response and get the plus one, plus one counter to laugh at the Frostbite, you're you're feeling smart. Yeah. Especially if it's the opponent's thing because it counts their creatures too. It's any creature that might die. Yeah. Now, the token being legendary is going to be a bomber for, I don't know, Yorian mages, perhaps? But They have to deal with the 4-1, so making another is true. almost inevitable. Yeah. yeah, you know, it gets by most things in the format, except like a Lovestruck Beast. Uh, I don't know. I mean... So far, this is reading to me like a miss, simply because I feel like it doesn't quite have that kind of um, surgical sideboard trump that Tulsimir did. But, I mean, it's a powerful card, so it wouldn't surprise me if it showed up somewhere. I mean, 
it's going to show up in limited. If you, if you oh, open this, you're going to be balling. Oh, baby. Um, and I think it's a good card in formats of the past, but it's not an Eldraine format card. It just, it five mana basically demands victory, you know, or drawing a million cards. Like the, this, the, you'd take Corvold over this card pretty much all the time. And there aren't a ton of other five drops that you spend a lot of time being happy to cast. Elder Gargaroth. Uh, this thing in Gargaroth tangle oddly because of the double strike, but you would still get value from both. Mm-hmm. I, I just think you probably want Gargaroth most of the time. Yeah, This is a, a sweet storybook card. I I do wish it was pushed more, but I can tell. You can just feel it, right? That when yeah. rotation comes, we're going to have a different format that's not going to feel anything like what we're playing right now, yeah. especially if cards like these keep getting revealed and strict based on what we saw in Strixhaven. It is really shaping up to be a whole different type of magic. And in that type, this is the kind of card that in the past would have made splashes in small numbers in various mid-range decks that would turn out to be competitive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so this is the kind of card which, like, could do a reasonable job of pressuring your opponent's Planeswalkers, for example, right? Um, it's mm-hmm. the kind of card that could line up really nicely in certain mid-rangey metas. Um, if there are certain kinds of control decks being played that don't rely heavily on counter spells, you could maybe see cards like just Do'Urden showing up. So, yeah, I mean... And then, of course, you know, if we have things that, like, proc your tokens, or if, you know, if you get additional ways to get value off of that token entering the battlefield, for example, it could start to add up, right? So, um, so I'll, yeah, I'll keep my eye on Drizzt, and I 100% that this is, like, a pairing around the corner kind of a card, and not a, like, gonna make a splash right now kind of a card. Let's talk about Bruinor Battle Hammer. Two white red for a 5-3 legendary creature dwarf warrior. Each creature you control gets plus 2 plus 0 for each equipment attached to it. Oh, here we go again. You may pay 0 <laughs> rather than pay the equip cost of the first equip ability you activate each turn. So this is kind of continuing along that equipment deck theme that they've seemed to be pushing the last number of sets. Um, this card being an uncommon, I think, gives you a clue as to how likely it is to get played, which I think is very unlikely to get played. I mean, it's just rough. Compare any of these cards to Halvar, God of Battle, and they none of them line up well. So that's kind of what That's what is. I was going to add. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to say. Especially with some of the cards having free equips, such as what Maul of the Skyclaves does, it is notable that you may pay zero rather than pay the equip cost is a replacement effect. So rather than pay white mana, it's not a reduction. So like rather than pay two white and two other for mm. the Maul, you can just move the Maul for free. So that's kind of nice, um, but it is just... Like this card is... It's it's just one of those things where I'm sure that there are better options. It is kind of silly to compare it to Halvar, which will always be in the same format, the same standard format as this card. But maybe there's something to play them together. Maybe once Winota is gone, but then you also have options at four mana like Blade Historian. So it's hard to make a case for Bruner, even though Bruner is one of the best characters in the books for sure. Maybe if there's like some really sweet Magda deck that just needs another dwarf, there you go. 
dwarves should happen and yeah. magda is waiting for it to happen for sure because uh, i think that we'll probably see a good amount of dwarves and elves and remember mm. those were supported in kaldheim but not enough mm-hmm. so that'll be interesting to see if there's tribal decks coming out of this i would really love to see a dwarves deck in standard at some point like it just seems like such a perfect setup and yeah and, and it just does seem so on theme for you know the D set so Really Speaking old. of on theme for the D and D set, it's party. People are expecting party to make a comeback. Uh, Bruner is a warrior, but I've already gotten a lot of messages saying Dritz is not a party member. Oh, uh, Ranger, Ranger is not a party type. Yeah, sad. Yep, is a bummer. But apparently, Ranger is like what, like a canonical D and D character type. So. There was some discussion about how that, like, it kind of would have been a travesty if Drizzt hadn't been a ranger. So there you go. True. Yeah. Yeah. You, you just can't win them all, I guess. No, indeed. But who knows? Gwenevar should be a spirit. Halva? Gwenevar is a green oh, cat. Should be a spirit. Oh, really? Yeah. Gwenevar should be a spirit 100 million percent. Like, is, that's not is, is that, unacceptable. Is that flavor-wise the truth? Oh, yeah. she Like, like Gwenevar is summoned from the spiritual plane. Dude rubs a necklace, out jumps awesome cat. Awesome spirit freaking cat. It is a spirit. But like, does Guenevar go like, ooh? Dude, dude, <laughs> my book. Let me love my book. Do not crap on, on, on the lore, all right? <laughs> well, I was just going to say, it just it sounds like a regular magic summon to me. That's what it sounds like, you know? It's like a... You know. Comes from the spiritual plane. That's all you need to hear. <laughs> okay. Should be all you need. Why can't you accept this? <laughs> uh, I'll be put in my place. I will gracefully right. acquiesce and and acknowledge my ignorance here. Um, all right, CGB. Well, that, wow. I mean, we could just end our podcast at 50 minutes. Would that be such a travesty? Yeah. <laughs> okay all right <laughs> they want more so and we've got more so i'm i'm gonna pass the mic over to you Kovac go blue and you know what what do we need to round out this episode to really give our listeners the value that they want well i thought it would be fun to just talk about some of the stuff that we're playing and doing in arena right now it summer is kind of creeping up which is it, it has historically been a slow time in Magic. It doesn't look like it's going to be, considering the piles of cards that are getting dropped on us. In-store play is coming back in some areas in the U.S. on the 28th, I believe, for the Modern mm-hmm. Horizons release, which I don't know if that's a thing that most of you are going to be doing. But if you are still playing Arena, I just wanted to throw in there that there's some cool stuff to still be done. Um, I've been... Actually having a lot of luck this last week with interesting decks across several different formats. And you were telling me before we went live that you were playing on ladder and that you ran into several of those decks. And one of the ones that is that uh, you maybe took an L to, which, you know, someone out there made uh, the CGB dojo proud, uh, playing a blue-white Nico Eris control deck. And I, I haven't actually lost with this deck yet. I put up the video today saying it was undefeated, and that's not clickbait. I, I, I still haven't lost with it on ladder, and I got into top 100. I was around like 70-something earlier today, and like this is something I don't think anybody else is exploring, but you're looking at 
a lot of the usual suspects in glass caskets and omen of the omen of the sea and we're a Yorian deck, but I'm also using Divide by Zero as the one and best of one. I think the learn cards are still really good. Sick. And there's Professor of Symbology. So mm-hmm. Blinking Professor with Yorian is really good. Using Divide by Zero to get back Yorian and play it again is really good. Uh, still trying to make Elspeth Conquer's Death a thing. I also found Nico really good with Professor of Symbology because you can just rebuy it and get your whole learn board over a couple of turns. You can also use Divide by Zero to bounce Nico after they attack Nico. Then you replay the Nico with X for whatever you can afford. Make a whole bunch more shards. Minus the Nico to kill the thing that attacked the Nico. Yeah, that's that's pretty nice. So let's just take a moment to appreciate Nico Aris being... I feel like Nico Aris has been a real slow burn in Standard. But like this card is good. And I remember we reviewed it quite favorably when it came out. And I'm just happy to see it living up to its potential. I, I, I think Nico is like low-key, like an amazing card in the format. Th- that's another one, kind of waiting for rotation. I yep. think the biggest problem I keep having with Nico is they bone crush it. Yeah. Because Nico comes down on three. Usually you don't, you don't use the plus right away because you don't want to bounce something off your battlefield that early in the game. Yeah. So Nico might come down and minus one and make a shard, and then the opponent bone crushes it. And they attack you with two things, and you have a shard on the battlefield, or maybe you killed like an Edgewall Innkeeper or a Lovestruck Beast token if you're feeling lucky. Yeah. But it's going to be a long time before you get to use it and leverage that position. So yeah. it's just a tough card. Also, like it just doesn't happen very often that you get into a situation where you have somewhere between five and eight mana. And you can just take the turn off to be like, I pump all my mana into making these shards, and now I have this Planeswalker, and on future turns, I will put mana into those shards, and then I'll find the cards I need. That's really hard to do in Standard. Like, the format is so good at just keeping the pressure on at all the, all the time, whether it's using the learn cards in the learn boards, or whether it's uh, just using adventure cards. I also want to say really quick, like best of one is so much different. It's never been more different from best of three because Mm -hmm. I think most best of one decks want to use learn somehow. If you can, if you're not using companion or learn your, your deck better be absurdly powerful. Like it better just have a curve out God draw win like uh, mono red often does. And even then, I think people are playing mono red too much because they just do. And that's not just because I hate mono red. I honestly think it's not like the best call to be making. Mm Mm-hmm. The white decks get to use the Professor of Symbology. They also get to use Sparring Regimen if they want to. Like, they have good learning stuff to do. The Winota decks are really good. Like, they're just super proactive. They get to use a learn sideboard. And every control deck I've built seems to run something like Divide by Zero, which I still think is a really underrated card because the lessons are just really good in best of one. So I think people mm-hmm. need to adjust those net deck to best of three lists more and make use of the lessons. Mm. I, I like that feedback. I agree with that. Without having played a super ton of best of one, I you know I was playing some today and just kind of getting familiar with what that format was looking like and did see a lot of good learning going on. And I, I totally agree. I think it's an underrated mechanic right now. And there are even cards like, uh, what, like Teach by Example is like a surprisingly playable magic card. You do have to be a little bit careful about where you play it. But um, I yeah, there are just like a lot of good opportunities, I would say, 
and under underexplored opportunities. And I think that we will get to see some of those, especially like when Bone Crusher leaves the format and stuff like that. I could actually see like some of these learn mage crafty decks being quite formidable. Like after I'm the also rotation. gonna say yeah, the Magecraft decks are really strong, mm-hmm. and they honestly, it only feels like they're folding to Bone Crusher Giant right now. Yeah. Like that, like that's the feeling. Every game that they that that card is there on turn two, I feel like I just can't win. But every game where they just don't have it, or they have you know just a regular removal card, and then the next turn they cultivate or something, I feel like I'm just smashing. And that's with mm-hmm. blue white. That's with Boros. That's with Silver Quill. Like, there's so many different ways to build the Magecraft decks. That, as long as cheap instants and sorceries keep getting introduced, they will get stronger. And I think they're going to be serious players. Man, I mean, case in point, I was playing against uh, Leon in Lightscribe deck today, and I did manage to clinch the win, but only because my opponent had a pretty weak draw, I would say. And there was this turn where. Um, my opponent had the, um, you know, the O one that gets pumped by the Magecraft. Yeah, the clever Lumamancer. Clever Lumamancer. So my opponent has a clever Lumamancer in play and like four mana, and I have no way to interact with this thing. And I was going through the possible permutations of what they could do, and I was like, man, this thing might deal me like ten damage this turn. You know, like. I was like, I was at 12 life, and I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm not dead this turn, but I, I couldn't guarantee it, you know? Like, it just felt so possible that, like, the opponent could just chain, you know, like, maybe two teach by example into two show of confidence or something, and that would just, like, that would be a game-winning play right there. So, yeah, I feel like you just, you really can't underestimate those decks. Yeah, I, I look forward to seeing what they become. I've actually had more fun with Magecraft than I thought. I will say, if your deck isn't a monocolor aggro deck, it better be, it really needs to be one of the houses, or sorry, one of the colleges of Strixhaven. Because the Snarls are actually really good for those decks, Mm -hmm. and they aren't replaceable. Like, you can't run temples and play, say, a green-white Selesnya aggro deck and have expect the results of a Boros uh, Lorehold deck. That has snarls. The snarls actually make a big difference in specifically two color aggro. Otherwise, I don't think you need them at all. But yeah. in two color aggro, you gotta have them. They're really good. Are you are you playing any temples at all, Covert Code Blue? <laughs> like I so, like when I when I do it feels gross and I, I almost always cut them at least for a few games until I get color screwed badly. <laughs> I like I can't remember the last deck I put a temple in. I actually mm. like I net decked a deck recently. I was playing it on stream and I like the first time I realized that it had temples in it, I was just like, oh no, 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 no. What like what are we doing here? <laughs> I just I don't know. This I might not be giving you the best advice right now, crafties, but I feel like in a vacuum, just don't play the temples. All right. Like don't yeah. Don't play the temples until you see them in like some, you know, like Gabriel Nassif's deck or whatever. Then play the temples, but otherwise, don't play them. Even then, you might be better off just rolling with rolling the <laughs> dice with a basic man. I, like, <laughs> they just, they. I'm always going to come at it from the best of one perspective. And one thing that I always am surprised when I see people who don't play best of one a lot trying it is that you know they're still looking at it from an aspect of like well I want to run this card for a little bit of value and this card to grind people out and it's like no no best of one's just curving out all the time 
The hand smoothing algorithm makes grinding much less important than curving. Like you grind incidentally. You have to curve as a startup, as an opening plan, which means, yeah, you're probably running basics over temples. Yeah. You know, translation, you're playing blackjack when you play best of one. So you've, you've got to play it accordingly, right? You've got to give yourself the chance to really high roll. Exactly. Go for it. Yeah. Live, live that best life. Yes. Yes, indeed. So, the other thing I wanted to mention uh, before we logged off this week, because I don't think we've talked about this on our show, We're, we we didn't do a show yet when with the since the kind of snafu right where day two was historic, or did we do that last week? I mean, we mentioned it in passing, right? We mentioned it in passing. Yeah. Okay. If we talked about it last week, forget it. I'm just getting old, and my brain doesn't work. <laughs> Oh, the maybe. Editor will you know what's this. funny is now now I actually think it was the other snafu of the uh, arena open, the servers being busted for the arena open. I remember talking about that. Yeah, so maybe we haven't maybe we haven't spoken about it then. You know what? There are so many problems. I just I, they all <laughs> run together in my mind. So talk us briefly through that, CGB. So put Arjuna. Let me take you on a journey. Put yourself in the place of a person who, through fire and flame, through perseverance, through an all-night, just sweaty magic tryhard fest, got into the top 1200 mythic, all right? And now you get to play the qualifier event, all right? And you, you get up on that fateful Saturday, and you join the event, and you battle with your standard deck that you've put months of work into, and you're so good at it. You know, you know your matchups are everything everything and you battle and you get seven wins on day one which means what do you have to do you get to play day two where you have to get seven wins on day two that that is your and if you do you will go and you will play in the strict saving set championship where there will be prize money pro players prestige and the honor of being one of the greatest in the land all you need are those seven wins on day two arjuna that's all you need so you wake up that morning and you enter with your trusty Sultai deck that you are a true master of in what you believe to be a standard event. And the very first match, you queue up, you're ready, you're flexing, and your opponent goes, turn one, forest, Llanowar Elves. Brutal, Arjuna, Arjuna, now it dawns on you that you are in the historic format with a standard deck because somebody at wizards probably copy pasted the last event which was historic day two of the qualifier event for the people who got seven wins on day one was historic it actually launched as historic and not only did it launch as historic it remained historic for i think it was like between five or six hours like the first five to six hours of the event i could be wrong on the number it might be a little more or a little less. It's not very far off of that. And wow, can you imagine? People who wanted to play Winota from because of the standard event couldn't because it's banned in oh, historic. Oh yeah, it's banned out of that deck. Rip. People who <laughs> paid attention to the fine print on the event might have seen it was historic and they queued up with historic decks. When Wizards got wind of this via Twitter, what they tweeted out for people to do what they asked people to do was, if you queued up with a standard deck, just proceed. Keep playing. Just keep going. Oh, my God. If, if, you, if you queued up with a historic deck, please await further instruction. What? 
like do they think that absolutely everybody in this event is checking twitter if you're one of the i'm going to tell you honest you can say what you want about like integrity that people have. If I had qualified and I woke up and I caught that it was historic, would I have queued up a historic deck? A hundred percent. And I was streamed and recorded it for the content because that's insane. I so, mean, that's the event, right? Like you, like, you can't blame someone <laughs> for looking at the event and being like, this is a historic event and queuing up a historic deck. I think there's nothing wrong with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, if that happens anyway after that tweet it was like another i don't know how many hours but it was like it was over an hour like there was a a long amount of time where people are still playing and then wizards came in and said they're restarting the whole event you almost spit out the water i know right (laughs) spit take so does that mean that like they just erased everyone's records yes that's so savage. If you if you had five or six wins and you only needed like one more to go to the championship, too bad. Go again. I actually, I feel like I saw at least one post of someone like getting their seven wins on day two and then learning that it got erased, which is just oh. like so rough, man. That is. Can you so imagine rough. if you just if you logged on early, speed ran it with like mono red or hell gruel and historic mm-hmm. and then woke up the next day to find it was erased and you didn't play. Yeah, the, you did because they restarted the event and yep. you had to play it now yep. and you didn't play because you went to bed. Can you imagine? Well, and it was so rough. So think about like, let's say if you live in anywhere in Asia, right? Or if you live in Australia, mm. okay? And you were already, so, you know, there's a lot of countries that are like, 12 hours off, right? And so maybe those people signed in at like 7 p.m. or whatever, you know, whenever the sign-in time was. And then they grind for like the next couple of hours and then they go to bed, right? And they're just, they're done. And then like, yeah. Or, or and I, or I'll let you go in a moment, but just like, here's another example. Like, let's say that you start a little later, right? And you play until about midnight and then you realize that not like your whole record's getting erased. And if you want a chance of getting your seven wins, you're going to have to stay up until like three or four in the morning. Like it's so savage. Yeah. It is possible that you woke up, joined the queue with a standard deck, like you were supposed to, got your seven wins. You you could have played against only standard decks as well. Like let's say that you just got matched against standard decks. Like nothing was wrong. Yeah. Yeah, you could have gotten your seven wins in a completely legitimate fashion and still had to play the event again. <laughs> I I oh my God, I was dude. feeling really bad on Saturday because I literally missed the event because I forgot <laughs> to hit the join button. Because if you for those who don't know, yeah. you have to join the event between nine AM and eleven AM and if you don't hit the join button, you're just not in the event. You missed it you know, GG's. And I was just sitting around the house eating breakfast and watching Twitch and I just forgot. Like mm-hmm. I, I, it honestly hit me like a lightning bolt when I turned on my stream and was like, all right, we're going to go play the qualifier now. Oh, I never joined. And you know, I don't have a good excuse for that. And I was feeling bad at the time. I was feeling great after this happened. I just, I'm, how can you get excited for playing these events when the arena open is a spinning black wheel when the qualifier event is like in the wrong format and then has these weird start stops. Like 
I don't know how to get excited about the competitive offerings for Arena until they have a run of success at these things. And yeah. until they do, I don't think I'm interested in joining them. Yeah. To be honest, like this has really warped my enthusiasm for it. Whereas before it was a fun thing to do uh, with my audience for content. Now it would just be only for like content to see if we can break something or if something gets broken. Yeah. You're like playing the most serious event of the month, right? As a meme. Mm -hmm. Like it becomes a yeah. meme because that's that's how seriously Wizard seems to be taking it, right? So So that's that's rough. And I just I thought that we should highlight it in case anybody out there has aspirations to go through these and they don't follow like the Twitter account, which I don't blame people if they don't want to use Twitter. It's twenty twenty one. There should be a lot of ways to hear about these things. So yeah. if you just listen to a podcast and don't follow Wizards on Twitter, I want you to know what's going on with some of these events on Arena because I'm not going to be jumping into them until I see a streak of like good results. And on top of that, I just want to also say, to my knowledge, they still haven't announced if there is a qualifier event next month for the people who are trying to tw top 1200 this month. Yeah. They still haven't announced who knows? anything for next month. Yeah. Who knows? So, I wouldn't yeah. worry too much about your ladder position right now if I were you out there. It's all up in the air, man. It really is. It's just like nothing, mm -hmm. nothing seems to mean anything anymore. So I not, think not in the competitive standpoint, but yeah, I mean, it's still fun. That's it. I <laughs> it's think still content. That's that's the takeaway is that I just really feel like you should be playing magic for fun right now. And yes, there's plenty of fun stuff to be doing, you know, so that like that's what I'm doing. I'm not like I don't give a rip about my freaking rank, dude, I, you know. And and here's the thing is like beyond that kind of stuff, Arena gives you basically no incentive, right? It's like the difference in reward between Platinum and Mythic is like one pack or something. It's just laughable. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. So have I think I think the best thing right there was like you should be playing for fun right now. I I'm not mad at people complaining about what's going on with organized play out there. I think that the writing on the wall, though, is that once you've kind of moved through those feelings, if you're trying to figure out a reason to engage with magic, just try to remember it can be fun. And there's still a lot of cool decks out there, and there's still a lot going on. So a lot of new cards coming out all the time. It's still a sweet game. And I think the sooner we can get to a point of just kind of being amused by the nonsense instead of going off in a rage on the nonsense is the, the better off we'll be. So if you're one of those who's inclined to just take magic seriously because that's how your personality works, I've been there. I often am that person. Right now I'm just trying to remember that it's going to be a dumpster fire and I'm going to enjoy it anyway. I mean, it's it's commander all the way down, right? That's That's really the takeaway is that... <laughs> <laughs> you you peel back the competitive play announcement and it's just freaking commander underneath so get used to yeah. casual nerds let's yeah go. <laughs> all right that's gonna wrap up this episode of the arena craft podcast thank you for joining us for another week thank you so much to all of our wonderful patrons who support the show if you would like to become one of them go to patreon.com forward slash arena craft podcast you can find this show on spotify it is on spotify go look again it's on spotify you can find us on apple podcasts and basically all of the other places that you find podcasts i stream occasionally on twitch.tv 
forward slash ArenaCraft Podcast. Covert Go Blue streams much more often at twitch.tv forward slash Covert Go Blue. If you're watching this on his channel, I don't need to say anything more about that. But if you've never gone to Covert Go Blue's YouTube channel, which there's occasionally a few people crawl out from underneath a rock and discover that, go watch him on there and you can basically figure out what the best of one ladder is going to look like for the next week. All right, crafties, thanks so much for hanging out. Catch you next time. Uh, maybe you could read the question, what's the best business idea you ever had that's Magic the Gathering and dessert related? <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just, yes. just, that one just came in. You may not have seen it. Today's, today's listener, CG Ice Cream, asks... <laughs> All right. Go ice cream. Go back, go cream. Okay. <laughs>